Well, good morning to all of you. I'd rather be sitting there than standing up here, but I trust God can speak through me such as I am. This morning, I would like to talk a little bit on the subject of full commitment or total commitment. And it's not something that I feel like I have got down pat, and so I'm the professor teaching you all about something that I have mastered, but something that I struggle with myself. And so as I share this morning, it's something that I studied because I need it. And I'd like to begin in Matthew chapter 16, I'm reading a few verses here, starting at verse 24. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. And this comes on the heels of a discussion where Jesus told his disciples that he is going to be crucified. And and we know that Peter did not take that very well. Peter was sure that um, Jesus was getting ready to start a new kingdom. And, and Jesus says, no, I, we're going to Jerusalem, and we're not going to Jerusalem because I'm going to be coronated, but because I need to suffer. And so there's two points here that are intertwined. One is following, and the other is cross-bearing. And what does the cross mean? Well, the cross means suffering, and it means death to self. Um, A.W. Tozer said that um, being crucified means three things for the Christian. It means facing one direction and not being able to turn around. So a man on a cross cannot corkscrew his head around and see what's behind him. He can only look forward, and that's looking at the throne of grace. The second thing is it means not going back. And the third thing means it means giving up our own plans. So the man going to the cross does not say, um, Peter, I'll see you to go fishing next Tuesday at 3 o'clock because he's going to be on a cross. And there are no future plans of his own. He is following somebody else's plans. Um, Another thing that we see here is that we achieve what we want most by pursuing something else. We gain our lives by giving them up to God. And people who work the hardest to gain their lives, to, to live life to the fullest, are the ones who are going to lose it in the end. Jesus was fully committed to doing his Father's will. That's why he went to Jerusalem. That's why he accepted the cross. And his disciples need to be willing as well. There's a story of Polycarp, so I don't know who, how many of you all know who Polycarp was? A few. So, so Polycarp was a disciple of John, okay, he was also a disciple of Jesus, but he didn't know Jesus, he knew the Apostle John. And so, <clears throat> he lived in the, uh, 
in the late um, first century and second century. And um, it's told that, um, that he became a bishop in the city of Smyrna. And during the reign of Marcus Aurelius as emperor, there was a persecution in Smyrna. And he was old. He was at least 86 years old. And he left the city to stay in a small house outside the city. Um, and he didn't really, I don't think, want to be um, put to death for his faith. Um, but the soldiers of the proconsul Lucius Statius Quadratus found him and took him back to the city of Smyrna. And the proconsul was, um, you'd say, generous. He's, he said that um, Polycarp had a chance to recant his faith. If he would just burn incense to the emperor, he could get out of, um, the, um, of himself being burned. And Polycarp refused. He said, four score years and six, I have served him and he has never done me injury. How can I now blaspheme my king and savior? And in the martyrdom of Polycarp, it tells that they weren't able to burn him, that, um, that the fire just didn't burn him. And so the soldiers came up and killed him with spears. Um, and he'd given his all for the one that he loved the most. We could say he was consecrated. Most of us this morning are never going to face death for, for the sake of Jesus, or we don't think we will. But we need to live for him. Some other words that we use, consecration, um, a solemn dedication to a purpose, um, and surrender, a total yielding to someone else. And I've been thinking about this subject because it seems as though it's a challenge for every Christian. The challenge is not just holiness versus the ways of sin, um, but it's the challenge of the pull of mediocrity, of trying to live our Christian lives at the bare minimum that it takes to get by. And I remember going to college with students whose goal was to maintain a C average. And they would say that. They'd say, I'm just hoping for a C. And it wasn't because they couldn't get A's and B's. I mean, maybe some of them couldn't. But, um, um, but it was because they had other things that were more important to them than maintaining a really high grade point average. Um, and they would actually get upset with people who, um, who would break the curve. So, you know, somebody would get a 97% a on a test, and then everybody who got a 67% wouldn't get a C anymore. They would get something lower than that. And they were upset because, you know, what's a curve? Well, a curve is if everybody does really bad, you can't fail your whole class. I mean, I guess you can't. Um, some teachers do. I think my sister's been close to doing that sometimes. Um, and, and it, I mean, you get the grade you deserve, right? But, um, but you hope that the professor says, well, maybe the test was too hard, and so nobody got above an 85, so an 85's now an A, and we'll just draw the lines down below. Um, and so I think sometimes we live our Christian lives hoping that God's going to, to grade on a curve, and he just looks at other people around us and says, well, you know, he's not so bad. So that's an introduction. Consecration must be total. The song came to my mind, Take My Life and Let It Be, by Francis Havergal. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments 
and my days. Let them flow in endless praise or ceaseless praise, I think our books say. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet. It's treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. And so she lists there a bunch of things that we need to give to God. And if it would be easier maybe to make a list of the things that you, you need to leave out. But I, I like this list. Time, hands, feet, voice and lips, intellect, silver and gold, or we'd say money. I don't have much silver and gold. Will, heart, and love. And the point is that when we are totally consecrated, wherever, whenever we find ourselves, we will show ourselves to be the servants of God. Um, and when you squeeze a grape, what comes out? It's grape juice, right? Because it's grape all the way down to the, to the middle. Um, and when you squeeze us, what comes out? I trust is a love of God and a desire for his service. Michael Phelps was an Olympic swimmer. He um, competed in several different Olympics. Um, at the Beijing Olympics, which I can't remember exactly how long ago it was, um, this year's the Olympics. Um, so um, Olympics tend to come in the same year as election years, at least the Summer Olympics do. Used to be the Winter Olympics and the Summer Olympics came in the same year, and now they separated them out. But he was an Olympic swimmer, and he won eight gold medals at the Beijing Olympics. And I, I remember this for some reason. Um, in over four different Olympic games, he won 28 total medals, which is the most anybody's ever won. Uh, he's 28 ahead of me. Um, and in preparation for, um, for the Olympics, he swam six hours, six days a week, plus an hour of weightlifting, and three days a week he did an hour of stretching. Um, and I, I thought about how much time you'd spend in a swimming pool to do that. That's a lot of time. I would, I would drown um, by the third day. Um, I, I can't swim that long. Um, probably at the end of the first day, I'd have to get out every like six minutes or something, uh, start doggy paddling. Um, but it was his commitment, right? He saw something that he thought, I can achieve this. And the other athletes that he was competing against also were training similar amounts because that's what you did. The athletes who trained for half an hour a day, six days a week, just didn't make it um, because natural talent just doesn't get you there. Philippians 3, 12 through 14 says... Um, and this is Paul speaking, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, 
I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And maybe Paul was thinking of something like the Olympic Games when he talks about this, about the goal, about pressing on. And it's neat to think, though, that Paul wasn't there. And if Paul wasn't there, then, of course, we aren't there either. Um, he doesn't feel like he's gotten there. He's got a long ways to go. And here he is in a, in a jail writing to the Philippian Christians, and he's saying, I'm still striving to get there. I still see a ways ahead where I need to be. I was thinking about it a little bit this morning um, because, you know, there's a genealogies in Genesis and we didn't really read over them, but um, people lived a long time, right? Noah was 600 years old when he was building the ark and, and um, that's pretty old. You'd think by the time you get to 600, you've got, had things pretty figured out, um, but, but he didn't. And I don't know that Methuselah, who lived to be 969 years old, had things figured out when he died. He was still learning and pressing forward. And so are we. The question is, are you satisfied with where you're at this morning? Do you see yourself as in a good spot and you don't need to really move a whole lot? So many of us reach the place where we're former athletes, people who tell stories about how we used to run fast and jump high at field day and do things that were amazing. Uh, but truth told, we're 40 or 50 pounds overweight and we need our children to give us a hand to get out of an easy chair. Um, Paul could have been coasting at this point, um, but he was doing anything but that. He was still maximizing his efforts for the gospel, even in prison. I think our tendency is to hold something back. We feel as though giving 70 or even 85% is enough. Um, and I, I sometimes read that athletes will say that they gave 110% in a given game. Um, and I, I've never quite understood 110%. Like, it seems like 100% should be your maximum, but if you're going to give more than your max, why not 137 or even like 182%? Um, and I think maybe it just says that athletes are bad at math. Um, but um, regardless, um, God expects 100% from us. No more and no less. And that's... A blessing in a sense because you know sometimes we work for people and they expect more than a hundred percent and you all have worked for people like this perhaps in the past where they thought you could do more than what you really could do a hundred percent is enough and yet it's also discouraging because it's all we can give God knows what we are capable of he knows if we sit down to take a test, what our max is. And yet Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30 and while Jesus has high expectations of us, his yoke is easy. And why is that? 
It's because He helps us carry it. Because where we are not enough, He is enough. And if He puts something on our shoulders, it does not mean it will truly be easy, but He will do the heavy lifting when the way gets hard. I'd like to turn to Luke chapter 19. Um, We're going to read the parable of the pounds. So I think maybe we read the parable of the talents more, which is a related parable. It's... um, um, And yet, I think there's a little different message in this one than in the other one. So Luke 19, we're going to read 11 through 26, and this is from the ESV. And it translates some, it as minas. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So this gives an insight as to why Jesus is telling this Um, this parable. So Jesus is telling this parable because the disciples are convinced that he's getting ready to usher in the kingdom and um, and so he wants them to understand a little bit about how quick things are going to come. So that's really the focus here. Um, But I think there's some other things we can see. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave to them ten minas, and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants, to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful and in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here's your mina, which, is kept, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did not you not put my money in the bank? At my, and at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that everyone who has more will be given, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And so this um, parable is a little different. From the parable of the talents. We know in the parable of the talents that people were given different levels of talents, right? So one was given, um, I think, ten and five and one maybe. Um, and here everybody's given the same thing. They're given one mina, um, which is a fair amount. Um, and um, with that gift came expectation. Use the money and use it wisely. I don't, um, it doesn't say that, but it's, it's pretty clear that the king had expectations of the, the servants. And they, it wasn't, um, it wasn't, out of the clear blue, the other, the last servant says pretty much that he he knew the 
the king was kind of severe, and so he was just afraid. Um, and I'm sure that all the servants said the same thing. Of course I will take good care and use your money wisely. You don't need to worry a bit about it. Um, at least till the king was out of sight. Um, and I had a patient, and I, I think this speaks to the fact that words are only, only take us so far. Everyone here this morning, I think, uses words to affirm their relationship with God. And yet, words only mean so much. I had a, a patient who came in, um, and, he, um, and he said, Dr. Waldron, you know, don't be too hard on me over these labs, because, you know, we just got through the holiday season, and I know my sugar's going to be a little high, and... and um, and things just may not be quite so good as what, what you expect from me. And I said, well, you know, I mean, it's, I'll, we'll deal with it, I guess. Um, and it was high. It was really high. His average sugar looked like it was around about 260, which is way more than what it should be. And he said, I'll do better next time. You just give me a little chance here and I'll do better. And um, and the problem is that the last four times he's been in, he said the same thing. So, you know, the words are there, but his commitment is not there. And in the same way, I think each one of these servants had in their heart a desire to use the mina for the best purposes. They had a desire to serve their king, but when he was out of sight, it didn't always happen. And so we can summarize the points of this parable easily. We are all given something to be faithful in. And here it's a single thing. Every one of us is given one life. That's all. It may be a little longer, it may be a little shorter, but we are given that. The second thing, and this is actually the key of the parable, is that Christ's return is imminent. It is going to happen. And it may not happen tomorrow and it may not happen next week, but he is coming back, even if it seems as though his return is delayed. The third thing is that it is really hard for humans to work without supervision. Um, and I know that when I was a boy, um, my mother would set tasks for us to do. And, um, and then when she was out of sight, we seemed to get sidetracked. And then as we heard her car driving in the driveway, we would immediately scurry around and start acting like we were just terribly busy the whole time she was gone. And if she saw the amount of work we'd done, she knew. Those children haven't been working at anything. But, I, I don't know, depending on her mood, she would say more or less, I guess. Um, next thing is that there is coming a day of judgment. And judgment means both reward and punishment. Um, and then the final thing is that those who do not use what they have been given wisely, will be punished. And I think sometimes we believe that only people on the mission field and those in the ministry can give 100% to God. Um, but we've all been given one, one mina, one life. And it is our challenge to use that for God. So consecration must be total. Second thing is that consecration will mean times of suffering. And I thought about the Apostle Paul here. Um, Acts chapter 20, verse 18. This is Paul on the way back to Jerusalem. And he's sharing with the um, church 
leaders of the Ephesians. And he says, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears through the plots of the Jews. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonments and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And you could read about Paul's journey to Jerusalem in two different ways. You could think that he's being warned by people of suffering that awaits him, and he just bullheadedly charges on, knowing that he's going to be put in prison and maybe even martyred for his faith. Or you can read and see that God is leading him there and he is willing to put his head in the mouth of the lion, willing to accept suffering because that's where the Spirit makes him go. And that second thing is really clear. Paul says, I am constrained by the Spirit. He didn't want to go and suffer, but he had to because his commitment was total. He has no choice but to go. The third thing is that the enemy of consecration is mediocrity. Um, and it's our tendency to be mediocre, to live life at the minimum. We had a um, medical student who stayed with us in, um, in Indiana. We, we had different medical students who stayed with us. They would work with us in the office and, um, and then they would um, live in our house. Um, and they were supposed to learn about rural family practice, and hopefully some of them would decide, boy, this is exciting, and I'd like to um, go work in a small town and, and um, deliver babies and who knows what all. And I don't know how many of them did or didn't, but um, anyway, they stayed with us. And we had one named Mike who stayed with us, and Mike was from rural Arkansas, and he had really humble roots. He told me um, just how... Um, just how hard a life he had growing up. And it was really hard. Um, and he had purposed in his heart when he, was, um, when he was in grade school that he was going to work really hard and make it to medical school. And he did. He made it to, um, to Indiana University's medical school. Um, and he did pretty decently for the first couple of years of medical school. Um, and he told me too, though, and this was maybe a little more unfortunate, that he had decided that, um, that the whole thing was a game and that now that he'd gone, gotten past the first two years of medical school, he was going to coast. Um, and he wasn't going to really study hard. Um, and his main interest seemed to be his girlfriend in deer hunting. Um, and we actually never saw him study during the whole time he stayed with us. And we knew who was studying and who wasn't. Um, Mike, Mike didn't study. Um, he, he did shoot a deer while he was staying with us, and he gave us the deer. So, you know, we had, we had pleasant thoughts of him. He was a nice person, but he didn't study. Um, and I found out later that he failed the family practice um, practicum. So he, he got to the end, and he didn't do well. He's the only student who stayed with us who, who failed. Um, so it wasn't like that we were such terrible teachers. Um, he just wasn't committed. Um, 
But even if he hadn't failed that, even if he had sort of scooted by and gotten whatever the bare minimum grade was, um, you know, nobody wants to see a doctor whose who's knowledge level peaked at their second year of medical school and who's now coasting. Um, and uh, if you're going to take care of patients, if you care about doing a good job with that, you need to continue learning. The Church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, um, John talks about, I think, some, a church that was in this kind of situation. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And he goes on to say that he offers something to that church. He offers raiment. He offers... He offers an open door for them if they will only walk through. But to walk through that door is also to fully surrender. God is not okay with mediocrity. He's not okay with lukewarmness. And he is not okay with those who serve with their mouths only. Laodiceans had a lot of things. One thing they were lacking was a total commitment to Christ. It seems to me this morning that there are two challenges that we face here. Uh, one is giving too much effort to unimportant things. And the second is not giving enough effort to the important ones. Um, Norman Vincent Peale said, aim for the moon, and even if you miss, you'll land among the stars, um, which is a silly quote um, casting stones at all these different things. But you can imagine, if you missed the moon, it would take you years and years and years before you even got close to a star. That's just crazy. Um, but, um, you know, we could say maybe a better quote would be, um, aim for Charlottesville, and if you miss, you might end up in Lynchburg or Amherst. I think that's a better one, at least for people who live around here. Um, if you spend your time racing dirt bikes, you are unlikely to turn into a concert pianist. Um, and so what we spend our time on is most likely what we're going to get results in. The world tends to place a much higher value on things like money and prestige, but the Bible makes it clear that these things are going to wither away like the flower of the grass. And so it's important that we value the important things, it, in, that we value relationships over stuff. And I think Galen had shared a little bit about this. Um, and so to me, we can break those down into family, church, and relationship with God. Um, and with family, you know, it talks about husbands loving your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. It's from Ephesians 5, 25 and 28. Um, and the challenge in loving your wife is not whether you'd be willing to die for her, 
um, you know, maybe that comes up. Uh, maybe, maybe your wife um, has kidney failure. You need to give a kidney to her, and that's, you know, that's a show of your love. But, but for most people, the challenge is going to be whether you're willing to spend an afternoon with her doing something that you don't really want to do. Um, or will you clean a bathroom for her? Or just spend time listening to her? Important investments. Church. I think the focus of church is often with the activities associated with church, but time spent in prayer, phone calls to hurting people, relationship building activities are really important. And then relationship with God. You know, this is the most important one. And I, I think sometimes we, we try to squeeze God into the odd corners of our day, times when we're a little tired, when our mind is wandering and um, I, I read an article that said, claimed that you could get fit in as little as six minutes a week. You just had to work out terrible hard. Um, and I just really doubt if that's true. And I, I know for sure that if you don't spend time in relationship with God, you're not going to have a good one. <clears throat> and so making sure that we spend the time that we need to, that it's quality time with our minds focused on him. Next point is that total commitment is easiest in things that we value highly or enjoy doing. <clears throat> my, <clears throat> my niece is currently trying to get accepted at a top conservatory um, in violin performance. And, and so she's actually taken a year off from school. She's done with high school. And for the next year, she plans to do violin-oriented activities six hours every day. And I think she enjoys playing the violin, um, but I also think that she sees this thing as valuable for her and for her future. And she's mature enough to know that to achieve her goals, she needs to dedicate herself today. And I, I don't know if I could do, I, I know I couldn't play the piano six hours every day, you know, if I, um, but I'm afraid that part of the issue is that we just value the wrong things. And if we're struggling with enjoyment of doing the things that we know we should, then we need to reorder things. <clears throat> the thing is to figure out in our own lives what things are most important. Um, too many people invest themselves in their work, uh, which is important, but maybe not as important as some other things, and neglect the relationships with their families, only to discover later in life that they wish they had better connections with their children um, and with their spouses. Next thing is that the reward is worth the effort. Mark 10, 28 through 31, Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And this conversation probably revealed a little bit about Peter's heart. He'd given up a lot, and he hoped that he would get something in return. Um, but the interesting thing is that Jesus doesn't attack Peter for this attitude, but says very clearly that people who give up things for the cause of Christ will receive a reward and that it will be worth it. 
now and in the life to come. Um, but he, he slips in that suffering too, doesn't he? There will be persecutions as well for those who are committed. Um, when we give our all to something, we are not guaranteed to achieve. Um, I was just reading a little bit about the 2020 Olympics, and there are 11,000 athletes who are going to be going there, actually a little bit more than that. And I don't know how many medals are going to be awarded, but it's not 11,000. Um, most of those people are going to work really hard. They're going to train. They're going to compete for a couple of minutes, and then they'll get a T-shirt and go home with no medal or anything to show except that they were there. And that is not true for the gospel. If you give your all to Jesus, he guarantees he will give you more in return. Guarantees that. So how do we put consecration into practice? And to me, this comes down to priorities. Life is about taking care of urgent things. It's about spilled coffee and work duties and laundry and changing diapers and, and who knows what all else. And those things are urgent and they have to be done. And yet we need to make sure that we have time for the important things. Rudyard Kipling in his poem, If, said that we need to fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run. And the distance I go in 60 seconds is going to be way less than some of you all can run in 60 seconds. And that's not important. But what is important is that I have filled that 60 seconds to the max. My max, not your max. I've shared with some of you all the story of Eric Little. He was a man who was really fast. He grew up the child of Chinese missionaries. Um, and when he was in his teens, he got sent to England to a boarding school um, because that's what Chinese missionaries did back then. Um, this would have been in the 19-teens. Um, and he was really fast. He had the very fastest time in the world in the 100 meters when he was going to college. And he was training for the Olympics, and he found out that the heats at the Olympics were going to be run on Sunday. And he didn't make a big deal about it. He didn't try to get the, the heats changed. He just told his coach, I cannot run in the 100 meters. I know that's my fastest time, but I need to train for a different race. And so they started training him for the 200 meters and the 400 meters. And this became a big to-do because the Olympic Committee, the English Olympic Committee said, well, you know, we're, we're going to lose out on this medal maybe because um, Eric Little won't run. Well, he, he wouldn't run. Um, and he won the gold medal in the 400 meters, which wasn't his ideal time. But, um, but he won it. And at the end of that, he could have done a lot of things. He was just over 20 years old. He had a chance to, um, I don't know, to do a lot of things for Jesus, you would say. Um, but he said that God was calling him back to China to serve as a missionary, to teach in a school there. And he never ran another competitive race um, as far as like uh, on a big stage. And over the next 20 years, he spent his time in China laboring among the people there, 
1938, when the Japanese attacked China, things got harder. Things were a little bit more scary. And he was out in the country then, ministering to people at a little school. And he sent his family away, his wife and their three girls. But he stayed, feeling that's where God wanted him to be. And nobody knew about Eric Little at that point. Nobody remembered the 1920 Olympics. But that was where God wanted him to be. And in 1943, he was placed in a Japanese prison camp. And the interesting thing about his time in this camp was that no one had anything negative to say about him. People said that he was always making an effort to lift the morale of the people there. He'd organize a game with the children. He would teach Bible classes, teach science to the children. He'd clean out latrines. And at the beginning of 1945, people in the camp noticed that Eric was not himself. He was weaker. He was more easily fatigued. He couldn't remember songs that he used to love, like there's a wideness in God's mercy, like the wideness of the sea. And he wrote to his wife that he thought he was having a nervous breakdown, that the pressure of the prison camp and the stress and not enough food were getting to him. And in spite of that, he continued to pour himself into people's lives in the camp. And what does full commitment look like in a prison camp? It doesn't mean preaching to thousands of people. It means cheerfulness. It means playing games with children. It means performing disgusting tasks. And just being Jesus in every setting he found himself in. In February, he collapsed completely. And it turned out he had a brain tumor. And he began to slip in and out of a coma. He had nothing that could be done for him. It was a prison camp. I don't know if he'd been anywhere else, if they could have done something. But his last words were, it's complete surrender. He was not well known when he died. Nobody knew who he was. He was a footnote in the newspapers. And yet when he entered his king's presence, he heard the words, well done, good and faithful, faithful servant. And those are the words I pray that each one of us might hear someday. And so I'd ask you this morning, what are you committed to? Is it worthwhile? And how can you commit yourself more fully to God, to your family, and to your relationships with the people around you that matter most?